0: God, and to as, many as receive Him, who believe in His name, He gives the power to become children of God, who are born not of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. It's incredible truth. I want to read a couple of verses from First John chapter four this morning. If you want to just stand, we'll read. 1 John 4, verse 1 through 7. And I'm afraid we're not going to get very far. 1 through 6, actually. I'm afraid we're not going to get very far um, in this passage. Um, it's, it's a little more than, than what I can uh, address this morning in the time we have. But I want to look at what truth is, where truth is centered, and how we can know the truth. 1 John 4, verse 1. Beloved. You can be seated beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Do not believe every spirit throughout this epistle, first John, uh, John is emphasizing and confirming the work of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. In in chapter 3 he says this, By this we know that we are of the truth, and we reassure our hearts before him. We reassure our hearts before God. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit of God whom he has given us. So the confirmation that we are of the truth and that we are abiding in God, the confidence that reassures our hearts before him comes from the spirit of God dwelling in us. He bears witness in our spirits that we are children of God and he produces fruit in us. That is in accordance with the words and the, the, the life of Jesus, the fruit of obedience, uh, In chapter 3, verse 7, he says, Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as Jesus is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. So so there's all these confirmations throughout this epistle of the work of the Holy Spirit in us and how we can know that, that he is truth and that we are aligned with the truth. And along with those confirmations... Our warnings, warnings with regard to sin and error. And John is ultimately addressing the question of how do we know that we are children of God? How do we know that we are walking in truth? How can we be sure that the spirit working in us is the Holy Spirit and not a counterfeit? And the answer is in chapter four to this question. Don't believe every spirit test the spirits. It's important that we understand the implications of this approach. What you hear, the truth you hear, has a source. It comes from somewhere. There's true teaching, which is inspired by the Holy Spirit, and there is false teaching, inspired by a spirit of error. There's true prophecy, revelation from the Holy Spirit, and there's false prophecy, revelation from Satan masquerading as an angel of light. There's truth, which has its source in God, exhibited by Jesus, revealed to us through the Holy Spirit. And there are lies, which have their source in the father of lies, Satan. Truth always has its source in God. There's no truth outside of that. There's no truth outside of God. This is really important to understand from the outset. It's impossible for God to lie, and his nature determines what truth is. Jesus was the Word made flesh. So not only do we have the written Word of God, which tells us the truth about God, but we have Jesus who came, he took took on the fullness of God, and was made flesh flesh. And lived out the perfect truth about God in human flesh. He was the expression of the truth of God on display for the world to see, for us to see. Lies are from the spirit of error. They have their source in the devil. He opposes everything that is true. Jesus told the the Pharisees when they were arguing with the things he was teaching them. He said, you are of your father, the devil. Your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. That's who he is. He lies because he is a liar. God speaks truth because he is truth. There's no truth outside of that. Modern Western intellectualism does not believe this. We're living in the aftermath of, of the Age of Enlightenment, the Age of Reason, in a culture that fundamentally believes that truth is determined through, and I quote, rigorous scientific, political, and philosophical discourse. That's how we determine what's true and what's not true, through consensus. Truth has ultimately become human centric instead of God centered. Well, that may be your truth, but it's not my truth, right? There's nothing more destructive than turning away from the truth of God, who God is. Romans 1 gives us a clear description of what happens when people turn away from the truth. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth that they've already received. They suppress the truth because they hate righteousness. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God revealed it to them through the things that are, that are made. God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. The apostles argued that truth is, could only be found in the nature of God. God was at the center of what is truth and that he had revealed himself through the incarnate Son by the Spirit. Paul told the Corinthians that the natural person could not, could not receive the things of God, couldn't understand the things of God because, and, and their foolishness to him because those things can only be spiritually discerned. Jesus told his disciples that when he left, he was going to send the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You, however, know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. And he further said that when the tr- spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So he's going to remind us of the things that, that Jesus taught. But he's also going to guide us into all truth everything that we need to know. So the apostles understood clearly that the source of truth was spiritual, that it came through revelation, that it was rooted not in human perspectives or intellectualism, but in the unchanging realities of God himself. So when we we look at what is truth, we're fundamentally asking who is God? What's God like, right? There's no truth outside of that. What is God like? Who is he? Because that determines what truth is. And as they saw Jesus in the flesh, they witnessed astonishing demonstration of, of the power of that truth embodied. There's a, there's a booklet by Art Katz. It's available online somewhere. I came across this years ago that's called the spirit of truth. And it's really powerful because it talks about this concept of Jesus embodying the truth. And I think sometimes we we misconstrue this. We think of Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. And we think of it as truth being kind of fluid the way a personality is fluid. Well, if he says something is true, then that makes it true. But it goes way deeper than that. It's true because that's who he is. And he only ever spoke the truth because he only ever was the truth. And he lived the truth perfectly, which is what gave such weight and authority to his words. It's why the people who heard him speak said, we've never heard someone speak with authority like this. Because every time he said, spoke truth, it was perfectly aligned with what he lived because he is the truth. But parallel to the powerful demonstration of truth that came and changed lives and impacted people, revolutionized the first century. There was another source of information, doctrine, revelation, prophecy, and the apostles started seeing this very early in the church. That the very people who had been transformed through the revelation of truth in their hearts were in danger of being led astray through the cunning of the serpent. Like Paul told the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 11, he said, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus ...than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants... Of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. And he told the Galatian church in, in Galatians chapter one, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we are an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now we say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. And Paul, we know the story in Acts, how just before he was leaving Ephesus for the last time, he knew he wasn't going to be coming back. He called out the elders and he told them that there were wolves that were going to rise up who would twist things to draw away disciples After them. And now. Never. Never before in the history of the church. Have believers had access. To as much truth as we do. Wouldn't you agree with that? With with a click of a mouse. You can access volumes of truth. Good commentaries. Amazing sermons. Good books. And on the other side of that you can access more error than anybody in history has had access to. You can find the answer to support what you want something to say more easily than anybody in history could. It's more important now than ever before that we test the spirits to see whether they are from God. To test simply makes means to to make a critical examination of what we hear or see. This is what you did if you were a blacksmith working metal. You'd work that metal and and maybe shape it into to the the rough draft of what you wanted to make out of it. And then you would put it subject it to a test to see what it was really made of. Is this the real deal or not? Will it hold up under stress? And this this word test is used frequently through the epistles and it's translated discern examine prove test the second corinthians says examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith test yourselves subject your faith to the test and we know of, uh, first peter talks about how god himself puts our faith subjects it to a test to see what it's made of so that the outcome can be precious Galatians 6 says, let each one of you test his own work. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, test everything. Hold fast to what is good. And John here says, test the spirits to see whether they are from God. So what does he mean by spirits? Well, the word is most often used to refer to the Holy Spirit, but it can also refer to unclean spirits, to demons. And sometimes it's used to refer to the spirit of man. We use Spirit, I think, in a similar way in the English language where we can, we can use it to mean very broad, um, more than a specific person or spirit. We can use it to mean kind of the essence or the source of something, where it's coming from. But I think it's important for us to understand that truth and error both have a source. Regardless of how benign it appears on its surface, it, it has a source. Truth comes from God. And error comes from the father of lies. So when you hear something and it sounds off, test it. Test it to see whether it's from God. If it sounds right, test it. It'll hold up if it's right. Test it to see if it's from God. As believers who have received the Holy Spirit, our spirit is under control of the spirit of God. But we fool ourselves if we think that we're not susceptible to outside influence. And that's why John is giving warnings and the apostles gave warnings through, through the epistles, their letters to the churches. Because we're not w- waging a war against the flesh. This is not a war against intellect, against just human ideas. This is a war against strongholds, against principalities and powers, the rulers of darkness of this age. Second Corinthians 10 says the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And listen to what we do. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. That's how we wage warfare. We're waging war against ideas, thoughts. That raise themselves up against the knowledge of God. Test the spirits. So I think given the context here in 1 John 4, John is at least partially referring to, to what we see in our own lives. The, the thought patterns that we have. And I think this ties in with, with the discussion previously. Our point of reference. What makes me think the way I think? What, what makes me have the thought patterns that are ingrained in my mind? And are they aligned with the truth? Or are they simply reactions to things that I've experienced? But it's not limited to what what is on the inside. It's not limited to the thoughts I have in here. It also looks outward and tests what comes at us from the outside. John connects the influence of false spirits to false prophets. Test the spirits don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are of God for many false prophets have gone out into the world. There's a connection between false prophets and these spirits that are anti God, the the antichrist. He calls them the false prophets are just a mouthpiece for counterfeit spirits. They're not coming up with the falsehoods. They're speaking on their own, but they're being a mouthpiece for the father of lies who is seeking to kill, steal, and destroy, and to twist the truth. This has been the case since the beginning of time. It's a very interesting passage in Deuteronomy chapter 13, where God told his people how they were supposed to test a prophet. Now, when I say that, you probably immediately think of where he told them that if a prophet prophesied something and it didn't come to pass, that that was a false prophet, right? It's the one we're all familiar with. Do you know there's another test? much more interesting. Deuteronomy 13. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass. Sounds like a true prophet, right? And if he says, let us go after other gods, which you have not known and let us serve them. Because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge evil from your midst. Listen, miraculous signs and wonders were never meant to be a standalone test of truth. Really, really important that we understand that. In fact, according to this scripture, God allows miraculous signs and wonders, false signs and wonders to come to pass, to be to substantiate falsehood, to test us, to see who we love. 2 Thessalonians 2 It says, the coming of the lawless one, speaking of the lawless one who's going to come at the end of the age, this is the the Antichrist who will come and, and will set himself up as God. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and all false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception. That means he makes you believe something that's not true for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth. And so be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false. In order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Steve talked a little bit about what we see going on in, in government. And I think at large in society around us. How many of you look at, at what's going on? It's just astonishing. It's astonishing at how people are, are believing things that are not True. Believing absurdities. You know why? Because they didn't love the truth. They refused to receive the truth and so be saved. And so God says, all right, I'll help you. And he sends them a strong delusion. And I think it's his mercy that does that. You know why? I think it would be really awful if people could twist the truth a little bit and stay right there. God says... You twist the truth, you refuse to receive the truth that I give you, I'll help you along. I'll let everyone see the outcome of rejecting truth. And we're seeing that around us to a great degree. First Timothy 4 says that in the last days, the Spirit expressly says that in the last days, some will depart from the faith and by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Verse 2 says this, by this you know the spirit of God. Aren't you glad he didn't leave us on our own to figure all this out? That he gave us his spirit of truth who teaches us truth. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. I I used to think of this as just kind of a quick litmus test to see if, you know, in particular, if 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 there's a demonic influence, ask the spirit, do you confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? And I've seen and I'm sure some of you have seen where there's a full blown demonic manifestation just at that question, because Satan hates the idea of God in the flesh, because The fullness of God embodied in flesh means that God can be seen. We can know him. We can know who he is. We can know the truth about him through Jesus Christ. That's why he's so bitterly opposed to that, because he doesn't want us to receive the knowledge of the truth. But I think it's more than just just a litmus test for demons. I think that there's a there's a broader concept here. And that is that the spirit of god is confirmed through the confession of who god is as revealed through jesus christ the work of the spirit of god is confirmed in our lives through that confession confessing jesus christ in the flesh and that's more than just just saying a phrase I believe that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. But that is a confession of your life that comes into agreement with who Jesus is. The truth about God as revealed through Jesus in the flesh. I want to read some out of John 1. We're working on memorizing this and, and it's, it's really impacted me in a new way. The idea of the word made flesh. The idea of the eternal God stepping into a human body. Embodying all of who God is in a human form and living it out fully. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him and without Him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. We have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. God revealed himself to us through Jesus in the flesh. In John 14, Jesus told his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Colossians 1 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. You know what that means? That means God can be seen. And that's what John was saying here in, in John chapter 1. Can you hear the awe in his voice? We saw God, God in the flesh, God made manifest to humanity. No one had ever seen God. No one knew fully who God was. In in times past, Hebrews says he spoke through the prophets, but now he has revealed himself to us through his son. Like the people of Israel were tested to see whether they truly loved the Lord, their God with all their heart, or whether they would turn to an alternate illusion a self-constructed version of God, the test for us is the same. Do we love God who was manifest in the flesh? Do we love Jesus? Or do we prefer a God of our own making? Do we love God in the flesh to the point where we gladly give up our lives in service to Him? Or do we prefer a Jesus who serves our desires? Every cult, every false religion has this one thing in common. They misconstrue the nature of the incarnate Son of God. That's what John is saying. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus in the flesh is not of God. And I challenge you to find an exception to that. Satan hates the representation of God in the flesh through Jesus Christ, and he will do his best to twist that in our minds and in the world. When the Mormon religion was starting up back in the 1800s, 1830s or so, um, I think it was one of the first temples that was built in Ohio, there was a Kirtland Temple. It was dedicated on March 27, 1836. And it was reported that there was a thousand people attended the gathering, the dedication. And the the congregation that was there um, started singing uh, the hymn, Spirit of God Like a Fire is Burning. And then there was a two-and-a-half-hour sermon. And uh, Joseph Smith offered a dedicatory prayer that had been prepared by the committee of church leaders. And there are a number of accounts of what happened during that dedication. One of them is is this. One striking feature of the ceremonies was the grand shout of Hosanna, which was given by the whole assembly in standing position with uplifted hands. The form of the shout is as follows. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna to God and the Lamb. Amen, amen, and amen. Amen. The foregoing was deliberately and emphatically pronounced and three times repeated with such power as seemed almost sufficient to raise the roof from the building. Another person's account was this. Brother George Smith rose and began to prophesy when a noise was heard like the sound of a rushing mighty wind, which filled the temple and all the congregation simultaneously arose being moved upon by an invisible power. Many began to speak in tongues and prophesy. Others saw glorious visions. And I beheld the temple was filled with angels, which fact I declared to the congregation. The people of the neighborhood began running together, hearing an unusual sound within and seeing a bright light like a pillar of fire resting upon the temple and were astonished at what was taking place. I'm curious what our assessment would be if we would be standing right there and get to witness this. Another person said there were great manifestations of power, such as speaking in tongues, seeing visions, administration of angels. Many individuals bore testimony that they saw angels, and David Whitmer bore testimony that he saw three angels passing up the south aisle. And there came a shock on the house like the sound of a mighty rushing wind. And almost every man in the house arose, and hundreds of them were speaking in tongues, prophesying or declaring visions, almost with one voice. And a final account. There the Spirit of the Lord, as on the day of Pentecost, was profusely poured out. Hundreds of elders spoke in tongues. We had a most glorious and never-to-be-forgotten time. Angels were seen by numbers present. It was also at this time that Elijah the prophet appeared and conferred upon Joseph the keys of turning the hearts of the fathers to the children, previous to the reinstitution of the ordinance of baptism for the dead. And there are other accounts. One says the beloved Apostle John appeared to them. Was this the Holy Spirit? Signs abound. And in false religions who deny the true nature of Jesus Christ, they have manifestations of spirits that appear very convincing. But it's not the Holy Spirit. And I'm not just picking on the Mormon religion. There are many, many, many false versions. And Paul said, Somebody comes preaching to you another Jesus than the one we preach to you and another gospel than the one we preached. Let him be accursed, even if it's an angel from heaven. Jesus said, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. That's his job. He bears witness to us about Jesus. Anytime you see spiritual manifestations, revelations of the spirit, test the spirits to see whether they are of God. The test is simple. Does the witness of this spirit align with Jesus in the flesh? Does he confirm what has been established to be true about Jesus? And if he doesn't, he is not the Holy Spirit. He is the spirit of Antichrist. I think that we more easily create a false Jesus in our minds than than we would like to think sometimes. And the most sobering prospect is that if we do not love the truth about Jesus, about God, as he has been revealed, that God will help us along in our error. Because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved, therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that they may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Notice it doesn't say those who did not believe the truth but believed a lie. It says those who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Because having pleasure in unrighteousness is the opposite Of loving the truth. They may well have confessed Jesus. But it was not Jesus as he was revealed in the flesh. It was a Jesus who approved of their sin. Because they took pleasure in unrighteousness. And all the while he's whispering affirmations into their ear. As they turn further from the truth. It's not Jesus at all. It's the spirit of Antichrist. And he is in the world. And a mark of the last days is that there will be many Antichrists in the world. Verse 3. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. There's nothing that Satan is more opposed to than the true nature of God as revealed through Jesus Christ. That is what he hates supremely. Uh, Second Corinthians 4 says the god of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Listen to this, who is the image of God? That's the gospel. That God can be seen and known that we can be in a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. In chapter 2 of 1 John, John says this, Children, it is the last hour, and and you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. It's a sign of the last age that we're living in, is the fact that there are Antichrists in the world, and they're speaking deceptions and lies, but they went out that it might become plain that they were all not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One and you have all knowledge. Listen to this. When the Holy Spirit abides in you, when he dwells in you, he gives you all knowledge. Listen to those checks that he puts in your spirit. When something is awful, listen. When there's something that looks good, but but there's something in your spirit that says no, put it to test. Don't just blindly receive it, because that's his role, is to lead us into all truth. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. The two don't mix. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. I think Satan doesn't mind us being familiar with Scripture, possessing lots of Things that sound true, as long as we miss the point, like the Pharisees did. They had they thought they had a mastery of the law. And Jesus told them that they were missing it entirely. They, they, they thought that in the through the scriptures, they had eternal life. And Jesus said, they are they who testify of me. Actually, what you will find if you look at it the right ways, you'll find me. The truth was standing right in front of them and they did not recognize him. Second John 7, many deceivers have gone into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. There it is again. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in his teaching has both the father and the son. And verse 4, we're going to stop here just soon. We're not getting very far in this passage. But verse 4, he says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. Overcome who? Overcome the lying spirits, the spirit of Antichrist. You have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Regardless of what lies come at you, what distortions of truth come at you, you have the ability to overcome because the one who lives in you, the spirit of truth, is greater than the spirits of deception in the world. We often hear this verse quoted without its immediate context, but I think he's saying here that he's not saying don't watch out for lying spirits. But he's saying you will overcome. You have overcome through the truth that is in you. It speaks of confidence. Confidence. You are casting down imaginations, ideas, thoughts that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. Hebrews 6 has some severe warnings for those who fall away from the truth after having received it, after having tasted the heavenly gift and sharing the Holy Spirit and tasting the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. But the warning is followed with this. In your case, beloved, we feel sure of God better things, things that belong to salvation. And John has the same tone here. The spirit of truth dwelling in you is greater than the spirits of deception. You have overcome the world. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. There's I want to be clear about this. This is apostolic authority saying the truth that we have received from Jesus that we have communi- communicated to you is a test to see who is from God and who is not. Because anyone who is from God will receive this truth about Jesus. John 18, Jesus said, for this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness about the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens To my voice? Do you listen to his voice? Do you love the person of Jesus as revealed in Scripture and as brought to life in your heart through the revelation of the Holy Spirit? Be unapologetic about truth. Never, ever suppress the truth. That God has given you. Test the spirits. Affirm what is the spirit of God. And reject what is the spirit of error. Compare everything with the person of Jesus. With his words. Let his words. Sanctify you. In Colossians 2. See to it that no one takes you captive. By philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition. According to the elemental spirits of the world. And not according to Christ. For in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He is is the full expression of God. And we get to witness that. We get to witness who God is through Jesus, who has revealed himself to us by his Holy Spirit. Hold on to that. Hold fast to that. Guard the truth that was entrusted to you. Don't let go of it. And the spirit of truth himself who indwells you has overcome the world. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your truth. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for the truth that was revealed to us through Jesus Christ. The word made flesh. He came and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Full of grace And truth. Thank you that we can know you. Through your son Jesus Christ. Keep us in your truth. Sanctify us. Through your word. Your word is truth. Thank you for your body. Those who have believed in your name. Who have been sanctified. Who have been washed. Through the blood of Jesus Christ. And thank you for your spirit. Who indwells us who teaches us all things, whatever we need to know. We ask you, Lord, that as a church, we would remain grounded and anchored in the truth of who Jesus Christ is, that we would love Jesus, that we would love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Keep us in your truth. Amen.